Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. So if you were going to die, what your final words Every one of us has a death to give up. What would the last thing that you say, what would that be if you could control it? What would you write about? What, what kind of charge would you give to the people that, that are next to you in, in your life? This is the very last words from the very last chapter that Paul writes before he's murdered for preaching the gospel. And so this is the conclusion, really, to, to, to everything that's been building up that's been on the Apostle Paul's part. And here's what he testifies before Timothy, starting in verse 1. He says this, <laughs> I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to come and judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. The word charge here, it's a, it's a Greek word, uh, and I put it down at the bottom there for you. It's uh, diomartoromai, diomartoromai. And I'm not saying, hey, here's a Greek word for this so that you think I'm smart or you think it's cool, but it's because it, uh, it reveals something in the structure of the sentence that we need to know this morning because it comes out a little different whenever it's in English. DMR Toramai, I charge you. This was a phrase that was used commonly in the courtroom. Whenever a witness would come up before the crowd, before the jury and the judge, and speak a truth uh, that he knew. DMR Toramai. And in the way that this sentence is laid out, this is really less of a, of a, of a charge to, to Timothy, less of a commission to Timothy, as it is a testimony of the Apostle Paul. So imagine this with me. This is Paul standing up in the courtroom. His hand is on the Bible. His other hand's pointing at Timothy. And he's saying, hey, I charge this to you. I testify to you. What I'm about to say is the truth. He says, Timothy, I'm witnessing this to you. And again, as, as Paul is pushing this truth, as he's charging this truth before Timothy, um, I asked him for your help here. Where, where is Paul at? If you'll remember, where is he physically at? Prison, right? Who said that? Ten points for Gryffindor, right? He's in, he's in, he's in prison. He's in jail. He's in slavery. But you don't know what he says next. He's in jail. He's also in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. 
So even though he's in jail, in a Roman prison, in a hole in the ground, he's also in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And I love this because in this moment, the Apostle Paul, what he doesn't do is he doesn't complain. He doesn't write to Timothy and go, Timothy, I'm, I'm in a hole. And I want you to know that the guy next to me, his hole is bigger than mine. He's got a bigger prison block than, than I do. And so would you, would you pray for him? That's not what he says. That's not what he says. He doesn't, he doesn't go in this moment. He doesn't go, hey, Timothy, I really think that, 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 that God wants me to come and be the, the pastor at Ephesus Street Baptist Church instead of this hole. That's not what he does. No, he's in a hole. He says, hey, I'm in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And the lateral application for us on this is, is easy, I think. What hole are you in this morning? What, what circumstances are derailing your plans? Can I encourage you that no matter what hole you find yourself in, to look for the presence of, of God and of Christ Jesus because he's right there with you. Amen? And maybe, maybe the hole is exactly where you're supposed to be. Maybe the jail is exactly where you're supposed to be. That circumstance is exactly where you're supposed to be for God to come and refine and define you this morning. Paul says to Timothy, he's like, hey, brother, I want you to know, hey, God has sustained me in this place. And, and I'm writing this so that you know he's going to sustain you too, exactly where you're at. Because no matter what we do, no matter where we go, there's nothing, there's nothing in our lives, no circumstance that we face that goes unseen from our God. And so not only is Timothy in this moment a witness uh, to the testimony of the Apostle Paul uh, about God, but also the text tells us that Christ Jesus is also a witness here. And, and here's the promise of this witness who is the judge, what he's going to do. It says that he's going to come and judge both the living and the dead. And so for those of you here today who are not in Christ, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you have to know that you will ultimately stand before this judge in his cosmic courtroom and give an account of your life, and you will be judged. And apart from Christ, this will result in a punishment and damnation to hell. But also for those of you who are in Christ this morning, you have relationship with Jesus. You too will be judged. We will be judged. Now, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your reward. Did you know that? You can lose your reward. Because at the end of your life, when you're sitting before the beam of seat of Christ, in Christ, you're going to be judged. And so am I for, for everything that we've done on this planet for or against the kingdom of God. The righteous judge will come and make this judgment call over the living, over the dead. That's the parameter. So it connects everybody in between that. He's judging Lord over all. And so Paul, he's bringing to mind for us here in this moment, this imagery of, of the ancient Roman games. Whenever a judge would look over a competition that was happening down, at the end of the competition, the judge would look in and go, okay, you got first, you got second, you got third. And they would give, they would hand a literal crown over to, to the winner. And so in Christ, you Christians, in Christ, there will be judgment over how well you ran. Do you know that? It's not just meet Jesus and do nothing. And in fact, um, 
In Revelation 22, among other places, it says, Jesus says this, Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to reward each one as his work deserves. So this isn't, this isn't a, a retribution or punishment for your sin because Christ Jesus already died for that. But this is a reward for your faithfulness. Now, now, I believe ultimately that we, the crowns, the rewards that we receive, we lay them at the feet of, of Jesus Christ. That's neither here nor, nor, nor now. But the point is this, that your life after your salvation matters. It matters. And there is a reward scripturally for faithfulness. And what an incredible motivator in your life that it should be. Because Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus, he bought a round trip ticket. He's coming back one day. Amen. He's coming back. And, and the text says that he will return appearing. That means physically, bodily. And when he returns appearing, he's not going to come back as the humble carpenter, but he's going to return as the Lord of glory. He's going to return as the warrior king. And he's going to usher in his kingdom. That's, that's what Paul's testifying to here. And, and so, church, I want you to receive. I want you to receive the full weight of what Paul's saying. Receive the full weight of, of what he's saying in his testimony. It's a bold statement, right? He's going, hey, hey, Timothy, Jesus is looking in at this. Jesus is looking in at your life. And it's Jesus who's coming back. And it's Jesus who's going to be the one to judge. And it's Jesus who's weighing your life. And it's Jesus' kingdom that you need to live your life for. So, so I just wonder for us this morning, when it comes to God's word, as Jesus is looking in at you, how do you handle his word? Is he pleased with how you treat his word? Is he pleased with your motives? Is he pleased with your attitude? Is he pleased with your testimony about his son? We live and move and breathe and preach because it is a holy accountability to this kingdom that's coming. It's why preaching is never for the applause of people, but it's always, it's always for the pleasure of God. And I'm saying to receive the full weight of this, I'm saying, hey, receive how heavy this is, because this is there's this charge of Paul. It's like the, the tee that the golf ball's setting on as the driver's about to rip it down the, the fairway. And then he's using this sense of urgency and precision as he's setting this up for us. And then he's saying to Timothy, this is the, remember the backdrop is this is against Jesus the judge who's looking in at our lives and watching. And he goes, hey, Timothy, here's the most important thing you could ever do. Church, for us, here's the most important thing in your life that you could ever do. Verse 2, preach. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. To preach, it means to, it means to herald, it means to, uh, to proclaim publicly the, the truths of God, announcing those truths. This is about, for us, Sunday morning, but it's not mutually exclusive to Sunday morning. It's also about you and your conversations with the people around you. What, what sermon do you preach? Tell your neighbor this morning, tell them, say, preach. Preach. Can you tell them, like, in a cool preacher voice, though? Like, you know those old preachers? Can you, can you just tell them real quick? Man, I remember uh, when I was a teenager going to my grandfather's church and, and getting the honor to listen to him preach. 
from time to time, and it was one of those uh, those those churches, those thirty seaters, you know, and, and it was in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere. You had to drive like ten hours, it felt like, to to actually get there. And whenever you would walk in, you would see you would see these religious relics everywhere, and you would you would see paintings up on the wall, and you would see the stained glass windows as you walked in, and it had this really uh, this really particular smell to it, you know, it was like uh, it was like Stetson and Jesus, you know, um, that's the prayers of faith, by the way, and, um, and then I remember, you know, the gospel, it would be sung there, and, and the gospel, it would be proclaimed there, and like, you knew exactly what you were getting into as you walked in there. And, and, I, and I just share that to say thank you, Jesus, for uh, faithful heralds that have come before us. Amen. And, and I'm sure that a lot of you, many of you, probably heard a ton of preaching in your lifetime uh, from different different preachers uh, in person and on podcasts. And you know, some are good and some are bad and some are nuts. And uh, for me, in my life, some some wore suits and some wore robes and some wore uh, flip flops. And some had, some really did have that preacher voice, uh, like Brother Tommy, like Foghorn Leghorn, um, and had that voice. But like when he turned it on, when he turned on that preacher voice, it was like he knew things were about to get serious. Like the Holy Spirit was turning him into the sermonator, and like it was about to go down in that place, man. Just really good stuff. So thank you, God, for the faithful heralds that have come before us, man. But there's this myth in preaching on the bus real quick this morning because really biblical preaching, it's not really about who, who stands up here at all. It's not about who's bringing the word at all. It's not about the, it's not about the ability or giftedness or uh, idiosyncrasies of any one particular person. The, the main issue in our context of Sunday morning preach it's not, it's not to just give you a greater understanding of a particular text that we're covering so that you have a few points to talk about over lunch. I mean, those are great tools and we use them and we love them. I, I love them when they rhyme and, or alliteration. I love those kind of things. They're, they're great tools for us to learn. But the main goal, I think, in preaching for us is that the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, would create this divine encounter between us and God. That's, that's why we preach. When we preach, we're not up here as performers. We're not up here as comedians. We're not trying to convince you that we're the smartest or friendliest people, even in this room. We, we are only up here to, to proclaim the word of God, and we're hoping for that divine encounter to happen between God and, and us. And so... We are all, no matter who gets up on this on this platform, we are all, we are, we are uh, together in at least one thing. We are tethered to a book. That's the commonality. We are tethered to a book, and it is the only voice. It is the only voice. Pastor John Machen uh, once said this to his former, uh, a former theology student at Westminster. He said this. He said, it, it's with the open Bible that the real Christian preacher comes before the congregation. He doesn't come to present his opinions. He doesn't come to present the results of his researches and the phenomena of religion. But he comes to set forward what is contained in the word of God. 
And sometimes I'll hear, hear people, well-intended people, um, say, say this phrase of, depending on who's preaching, even they'll go, man, I'm really just not getting anything out of this, out of this sermon, out of this church, out of this program. Now, I don't know if you said that because you're all really faithful and good believers, but um, if, that, if that is you, I want to stress, I want to stress a couple of things in, in, in preaching. Number one, if you're not getting, if you're not getting anything out of out of the word, whenever a message is given from whoever the pastor is, short of it, short of it being heresy or story time about them, if the word of God is open and read and proclaimed, there's always something for us to get out of it. Amen. There's always something that the word of God has to say uh, to, to each one of us. And so if you're not getting anything out of it, can I submit to you, maybe maybe you're not putting enough into it as you're listening. And the second thing of, uh, I want to say on this is that maybe the goal, maybe the goal in preaching isn't just for you to get something out of it. Hear me out on this. I, I, you know, a lot of preaching, we preach for the glory of God and the good of us, as I said but I don't think it's meant to just satisfy the, the ear of, of an audience. I just don't. Or if it is, that the audience is Jesus, and we're trying to satisfy his ear. But I feel like a lot of times, man, I feel like a lot of times that we turn the Sunday morning thing into almost like a spiritual food court of sorts, like our spiritual fast food, and then we come in here and we get prepared to eat this meal and digest the scripture together, and then we walk out sometimes and, and, and we don't feel full. It's because we're not eating the rest of the week. We're not engaged with the Word of, of God the rest of the weekend. And that kind of diet cannot sustain you spiritually. If, if the only time you preach the Word or read the Word preaches here on Sunday, it's not enough. It's not enough. So look, there are 2,340 minutes that we spend together in a year proclaiming the Word of God. This is the driving force that, that shapes the church life here at rest. The Word, everything is centered around the Word. And so preaching, again, it's not mutually exclusive to Sunday morning, but this is about us together in our relationships, in our conversations with one another. We're just here. I'm just here to assure you, look, hey, I know that you're here, but also I believe that this message can change your life. The gospel is to be, it's to be gospel centered, but we have a, a message to share. And it's this there's five qualifiers. We'll, they'll get shorter as we go through them. But number one is this we are to preach the word. Preach the word. In verse two. This is something the Apostle Paul has said over and over and over again. And, and, and just to show you in chapter one, verse 23, he said this he said, Follow my sound words. In chapter 2, verse 15, he said, this is you rightly handling the word of truth. In chapter 3, verse 10, he said, you followed my teaching. And for next week, for Pastor Cody, it's going to be sound doctrine. All of these are, are appositional nouns for word, saying essentially the same thing, that your ministry is primarily, our ministry is primarily to teach people the word. The word here is the logos, it's Jesus, it's the reason, it's the scriptures, it's God speaking verbally and then dynamically with the writers of the scriptures. Paul tells Timothy, hey man, preach the word, just talk about Jesus. 
Because look, you and me, we, we can't, we don't know who God is apart from his word. And we can't even know what a correct interpretation is apart from his word. It's why, as Pastor Yohan says, scripture is so useful in interpreting scripture. So, so don't believe the hype, man. Don't believe the hype when you see somebody come in and, and look at the word and, 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 and or the specific text and they go, you know, I'm really not sure that God meant to say this here. You know, I have, I have, my, I have my interpretation on, on this. And I'm not really sure that hell means hell. Whenever you hear things like that, you should, you should say, well, God does mean this because God said this. And my interpretation is that you're a jack wagon. That's what you need to tell him. So whenever you hear these things, or someone comes on, a, on any stage, on any platform, or if they come knocking on your door, wearing a white t-shirt, backpack, riding a tandem bike together, and they come preaching a message that's not about Jesus, that should be a big red flag for you. Preaching has to be centered on the word, the person himself, who is Christ. And, and what I'm getting at, church, is that whenever, whenever your Bible, whenever it's open, certain things in life just don't get blurry. When your Bible is open and you let the Word of God speak, there are certain things in your life that just won't get blurry. It won't be confusing because it's just thus saith the Lord. And so we don't, we don't need to add anything to it or take anything away from it. As, as we talked about a few weeks ago, all scripture from the beginning to the end is God breathed. It comes from God. That means that it's perfect because God is perfect. It has no error in it. His word has no error. From, from us, from time to time, we're going to make error when it comes to handling the word of truth. And that's why we ask you to, hey, hey, convey back to us, weigh out what we're saying, test this against the word and let us know. We preach the word, though, so that we can see God. Others can see God and know him and love him like he's loved us. Psalm 119, around verse 105, it says that this thing is the, the light, the lamp that lights the way for our path to God. Isaiah chapter 55, around verse 11, says that when the word of God goes forth, it never returns void. It always does what it's intended to do. And Paul is, he's just reminding Timothy here, right? He's writing to his protege, and he's going, Timothy, man, hey, hold, hold the rudder. Hold the rudder. Don't stress out. Don't freak out. Don't get off of mission. Don't get off of topic. Don't close your Bible. Don't let a pseudo-crisis like being stuck in a hole or crazy church people distract you from the purpose of the church. Just preach the word. That's, that's what he's telling Timothy to do. And, and, and I mean, if you think about it, what even, what, what even gives somebody the right to stand up here and talk for 45, 50 minutes on the behalf of God? What gives someone the right, what gives you the right to preach the, the word to your neighbor? Because I'm going to tell you, it's not superior intellect. It's not a, a political power move. The authority, the only authority comes through God's word alone. Brian, Brian Chappell, he said this, I think you'll like it. He once wrote, whenever we speak, 
the truths of the Word of God, we are not simply speaking about Jesus, nor are we simply speaking for Jesus. We are speaking as Jesus. And what this means is that the authority comes from the Word of God alone and not any preacher. It comes from the Word alone. I have zero authority if you want to, uh, uh, to know how the latest Netflix series is. I have zero authority in your life if you ask me on a restaurant recommendation in this town. I have zero authority if you want to know my opinions and views about the most recent conspiracy theory on Facebook, right? Zero authority uh, on, on any of those things, but we, not just me, we derive a special authority to speak on God's behalf only when we preach the Word. When we preach the word, which is why here at rest, we go verse by verse and book by book. Have you noticed that? If you've been here a while, you probably picked that up. We go verse by verse and typically book by book. Occasionally we'll slide in something that's topical, but even then it's expository in nature. We're not against topical. We just we go through books of the Bible together. And the one reason that we do that is because we don't want you to just know an interpretation on a couple of verses, but we want you to, to see the full counsel of the Word of God. And quite frankly, man, people don't go through verse by verse and book by book in a lot of places because there's some stuff in here they just don't want to talk about in our cancel culture. There's stuff they just don't want to talk about. And I'll be honest, I get up here sometimes, I read what the text is coming, and I'm like, I don't want to get up here. <laughs> I don't want to, that's Pastor Cody, right? He gets this. There are times in my flesh, I just want to get up here and I want to be like, hey man, Jesus, he loves you. Jesus, he is for you. Jesus, he has a plan for your life. And, and all of those things are true. All of those things are true. Yes, Jesus is for you. But we have to unfold the why of that. Yes, Jesus is for you, John 3, 16, right? For God sent his only son into the world that whoever would believe in him would perish, but they would have eternal life. But why? John 3, 17 and 18. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't condemned, but whoever doesn't believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And, and we'll get this backwards sometimes because... Jesus didn't just die so he could love you, but Jesus loved you and so he died. It's God's love that leads to his atonement in the scriptures. And so we can't, we can't divorce God's love from his, from his sacrifice. We can't divorce God's sacrifice from our sin and that there would be a payment of blood for, for that sin. So we're going to talk about it and we're going to wrestle with it together. Church, this is why today we're not in uh, week 12 and step 27 of how to have a better life. But we're in, we're in week 12 of finish the fight, going verse by verse through 2 Timothy. As he tells us, Paul tells Timothy and tells us, hey, preach the word. Preach the word. We are just the mailman. When a mailman comes to your house, right, to deliver your mail, he doesn't open up your envelope, erase some stuff, write in a few notes himself, seal it back up and put it in your mailbox, right? No, he, he just delivers the letter. For us, there's, there's 66 of them. We're not the editor. We just preach the word. 
It's, it's our job to just deliver the mail. The second qualifier is this. Preach the word to be ready in season and out of season. Then you're going to go faster. Tell your neighbor, be prepared. Don't be big chief, no fun, sitting there with arms crossed, snarling at me. Tell your neighbor, say, hey, be prepared. Be prepared. Be ready. You better get ready. For us, we have to be a people who are prepared to preach the word. We have to be a people who are prepared ourselves so that we can help prepare other people. And no one, no one who steps up here, man, I'm telling you, no one who steps up here can even start or begin to rightly handle the word of God and work through it without the word of God working them over during the week. And, and I really like this combo that the NEB message and NLT puts on this, the way it says it, so I'm not sure what it says. It, it puts it like this, cast the message with intensity, whether the time is favorable or not. This is your job, not just mine. You are to preach, to be ready, to be prepared in season and in an out of season. This means that you are to preach whenever people are hostile or receptive to you. You are to preach when whenever they're tuned in or they are tuned out. I have to stand up here and preach whenever you're going, hey, amen, preach it, brother, or when you're rolling your eyes, looking at your watch, or walk out. We have to be prepared to preach when the wind is in our back or when it's smacking us in the face. Be ready in season and out of season. And, and, and that's both in us and around us because, because you never know. You never know who might be listening to your sermon and how those words, the word might transform and change their life. Be ready in season and out of season. This means, church, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. Feelings are irrelevant on this. It's irrelevant, church. It is, it is gospel saving time all of the time. And so you and me, we can't just fluctuate between, man, I really feel like being used by God in this moment. God used me. Or God, you know, God, I'm, I'm busy right now. Can't, you know, maybe can you, can you, can you pick somebody else? Or what we'll do in, in the Christian circles sometimes is we'll go, you know what? I'm going to get myself ready first before I go and, and do. I'm going to get ready and then I'll, then I'll volunteer. Then I'll, then I'll volunteer to preach, preach the word. Then I'll volunteer to do anything. We, we can't pick and choose. It's, it's just go or, or don't. It's, it's heed the call or don't. And it, it says be ready in season and, and out of season to be ready to give an account of the hope that lives inside of you. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when you don't feel like it. Because it's not based on how we feel or the circumstances around us. It's the word of God who's the true north and the compass in us. The next three qualifiers that, that Paul gives us, the next three verbs are all connected. And it's this, number, um, number three. He says that we are to preach the word to reprove. Say reprove. Reprove, I think of this as that, uh, that side hug, that loving arm of correction. That's what reprove is. Reprove is it's, it's a kind conviction. It's a, a kind correction. For, for uh, you know, sometimes me and Jax, 
in our missionary journeys, we wind up at Walmart. Jackson's my seven-year-old. We wind up at Walmart in front of the, the freezer section, believe it or not. And when we're at the freezer section, he always, every time, he wants more of those chocolate uh, covered drumsticks ice cream that he has. No matter how many we have at home, I know at home we have 843 boxes already of those, of those drumsticks, but he has more, he wants more. And so I have to, I have to bring him back to reality. I have to give him that loving arm of, of correction sometimes. And we all need a word-centered reproof, that loving arm in our lives, because we all tend to drift from time to time. Every one of us in here, we have blind spots in our lives. And we need someone to kind of pull us back in when we drift away. It's just like the old song uh, says, I'm prone to wonder, I'm prone to leave the God that I love. It's like Galatians chapter 6 says this, it says, Brothers, hey, if anyone is caught in any sort of transgression, any transgression that's relationally, spiritually, or morally, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Paul, Paul is reminding us here, he says, you know, sometimes we preach the word, and it's not as much about finding something new or intriguing in it as it is just reminding you of the, the gospel truths that you already know and calling you back to those truths. That's, that's reproof. Number four from Paul, in this context, to preach the word. Sometimes we preach the word to rebuke. We preach the word to rebuke. Rebuke is it's different. It's different than reprove, right? If reprove is the, the loving arm of, of correction, rebuke is the, 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 the left hook to the jaw of unrighteousness, right? There's loving correction and reproof. Sometimes we go to preach the word and, and, it, and it's stern, it's, it's strict, or you rebuke someone when, when, when a brother or sister is caught in a spiritual dumpster fire. And I think of Jesus on this one. Jesus did this with the religious leaders a lot. He would rebuke them openly and publicly and in, front of, in front of everyone. Jesus rebuked the way they fasted. He rebuked the way they prayed. He rebuked their clothing. He rebuked their self-righteousness. Jesus, he called them snakes, broods of vipers. He said, you guys are like the blind leading the blind. Jesus openly rebuked him. In fact, in one encounter that Jesus had uh, with, with the Pharisees, they, they neglected Jesus, who is God, as he was coming in. And instead of inviting him into to dinner, they rebuked Jesus because Jesus didn't wash his hands before supper. But at least they got to go to hell with clean hands, right? Jesus rebuked them openly and publicly. And some people be like, well, my, that doesn't sound like my Jesus. My Jesus is nice to heaven. That might be your Jesus, but that's not the biblical Jesus. By rebuking them, Jesus was in fact serving them. He was showing them the error of their, their way. And he was, he, was, he was telling them, look, God's not impressed with people that pretend to be holier than he is. The biblical rebuke that offends, but what it does is it, in that offense, it, it exposes our sin. To carve back, to carve us back into that path of repentance that leads into righteousness. That's what biblical rebuke does. And there's some catches on that, on rebuke. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 40, 14, it says, All that you do must be done in love. So before you run around rebuking everybody today after church and tell them, I told you to. 
<laughs> if you're rebuking because from a place of pride or resentment or personal preference or egotism or, or just self-serving, it's wrong. It's wrong. And one key way that you can tell out, tell if your rebuke is right or, or wrong is, is does it create harm? Is it intended to create harm or shame as a, as a self-righteous judgment call on your brother or sister? A right rebuke always comes from a place of hope that as you rebuke, it would call them back to the path of, of righteousness. James 5 says this, let them know, whoever brings a sinner, whoever brings a sinner from his wandering, he will save his soul from death, and it will cover a multitude of sins. And I get it, man, I get it. Confrontation can be really uncomfortable sometimes, but it is more unloving of you to do nothing than it is to rebuke your neighbor. If, they, if they're wearing a team jersey and, and proclaiming Jesus' name and doing things contrary to Jesus, you have every right to rebuke them, to bring them back, to correct their path. And then number five, this is the final word of preaching the word. He says we preach the word to exhort, to exhort. So for some of you this morning, you're not off track, right? And so you don't need that, that arm of correction, you're not off track and and for some of you this morning, you, you're not rebelling, so you don't need a rebuke. But for some of you, you just need some encouragement. You need some exhortation in your life. Because, man, you, maybe you're like, man, you wouldn't believe the kind of week that I had. Have you had one of those weeks this week? And, and you go, man, I was, I was reading my Bible, and I was praying, and I just felt so defeated. Let the word of God come to encourage you this morning if that, if that is you. Because it's, it's really easy for us to pour, you know, cold water on somebody's enthusiasm. We have we're a world full of discouragers, right? But some of you in this room, even you have been gifted, you have been blessed with this spiritual gift of exhortation and encouragement. And, and, and people with this gift, uh, they, they don't just proclaim the truth like the prophets did, but what they do is they, they did develop relationships and they take the time to share and to care. They do, they do all those extra little things that make all of the difference whenever we're struggling. It's someone who might bring you a gift or, or a word or just intentionally care about you and show you that they care. And so they might be like, hey, <laughs> I think that you should rewrite the Lord's Prayer this week. And then and as you do that, I, I, I want to get together with you Tuesday and we're going to have some coffee. That's exhortation. And so maybe it's an encouraging scripture or, or, or word, but exhortation is used just as rebuke and reproof is to build up the body of Christ. So church, sometimes the word incorrects, sometimes the, the, the word rebukes, and sometimes it's there to encourage us. And I think when, when, when the word of truth is handled rightly, you can do all three at the same time. Here's the, here's the catch-22 on all this. In your reproof, in your rebuke, in your exhortation, as you preach your, your sermon this week, it's to be done with complete patience and teaching. This is like the sting in the butt for me. Preach the word, but do it with complete, just complete patience. Like I wish Paul would have said, just like a pinch, you know, a salt bay of patience. Because honestly, man, sometimes my prayer is not, uh, it, it's not, Lord, give me the strength. It's, Lord, give me the patience. Because if you give me the strength, I'm going to knock somebody out. I need some bail money to, to get out of this, right? 
And we just do these things with complete patience and teaching. How you preach the word, where you preach the word, how you speak the word. It's got to be handled with the utmost careful instruction. Letting the word say what the word has to say. Matthew Henry, um, a pastor, he says this. He says that the best of men, listen to this. The best of men have the need to be all to the discharge of their duty. The Apostle Paul, when I think about him writing this, his lens, his framework for life that he's seen everything through, I think it came really in two parts. One, from that, that Sunday morning Damascus Road experience conversion that he had. That was a big part of it. But also the coming of the King of Glory. And those two things really framed up how he lived and did life and how he preached the Word. And he's telling Timothy, hey man, it's vital. It's vital you have this same outlook too. So from Paul, in his final words, what he writes, what he discharges, what he discharges to Timothy is this is Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so if nothing else is clear to me in this text, one thing that is incredibly clear in verses 1 and 2 is that God intends for the church, for us to have pastors and teachers that through their preaching and teaching, that they would help equip the saints to do the work of ministry. That the work has been discharged to you. I don't know if you've ever been uh, put in a hospital before. You don't have to raise your hand. But have have you been in a hospital before where you were kind of stuck there? Maybe they treated you for whatever was going on. But at some point, right, they they come to you and they go, hey, maybe you have to sign some papers, but you're discharged. In this moment, it's them going, hey, okay, you're free to go. You're on your own now. Like, if you've got some problems, you know, here's the 1-800 number. You can call us for some advice or come back and see us again. But you are discharged. You are, you are sent out. You are set free. Preaching the word. Ministry discharged. It means that this belongs to you. The ministry of preaching the word and doing ministry, it's not something that you pay a pastor to do. It's something that your pastors teach you to do. Because the, the, the ministry has been discharged to you. And it's Paul's words, man. It goes from a, a hole in the ground in Rome some 2,000 years ago. And it's to us this morning in Paducah, Kentucky, at Rest Church. What that gap between means that there was someone who did something. Someone to somewhere preached the word. And it didn't come out void, but it's God to us. And so we must preach the word so that the spirit of God can work through the word of God and come in the power of God to bring good news to the captives that they can be set free. 